Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the 364th episode of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show here on Voice America Business Channel. And we're broadcasting in this our eighth year across the world from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood in California. This is a place where technology meets entertainment. I'd like to talk to you today about biometrically verifiable identification numbers. And the reason I reckon this is important is because it seems to be the perfect time with some states doing everything they can to restrict voting in the half-term elections on the false premise that people don't have the proper identification. In one state alone, Georgia, 53,000 people have been denied access to the polls. And, uh, of course, these restrictions predominantly affect the poor and minorities. So we're given all sorts of reasons why we can't have a universal identification system. It's too hard. It's too complex. America's too big, um, etc. But India, which has got 500 million illiterate people and around 100 million extremely poor people, well, if they can do it, why can't the US? Why? Because the powers that be in the states don't want to. Now, the world's largest biometric ID system, which is India's Adhar program, reached a milestone a couple of weeks ago. 1.2 billion, four times the population of the United States including over 99.5% of the adult population, they're enrolled in this world first, giving every citizen a unique biometrically verifiable identification number. So what's biometrically verifiable? Well, it means that they have your iris scans, eyes, and your fingerprint records, and these are linked to an ADHAR number, which will be used in all interactions with the state. Now, this eliminates fraud because if you don't have an ad, and these ADHAR numbers are all on the blockchain. So it weeds out fraud, making taxation much more efficient and much more difficult to avoid and ultimately saves everybody a shed load of money. And the scheme's been used by all facets of society. It's become near impossible in India to buy a cell phone or open a bank account, or do anything without providing an Aadhaar number. And it's a uh, 12-digit identity number linked up to fingerprints and iris scans, and each user receives a card with that number on it, which can be cross-referenced with the biometric data held in the database. Now, the Aadhaar number is not a proof of citizenship, but citizens are required to provide it to receive things like welfare payments, social services, to vote, etc. 
Now, this creates a centralised system for the whole of India, like 1.4 billion people, all having one form of recognisable ID, rather than the system like we have in the United States, which is a decentralised system of birth certificates and driver's licences and a whole bunch of other stuff, which are vulnerable to loss and damage, manipulation by politicians, leaving marginalised people, particularly the rural poor, struggling to receive services. The projects are cost-effective and modern way of bringing an enormous and often poorly documented population into a single database. And the technology behind the system works for the overwhelming majority of Indians. And so far, it's saved the Indian government as much as $12.4 billion. On one hand, Aadhaar is seen as an intervention in everybody's practices, a corruption, a mechanism for the equitable and even accurate distribution of social welfare and a whole bunch of other things. At the same time, it's also been seen as a violation of privacy, an intrusion by the state into the private lives and affairs of citizens and as a way of strengthening surveillance techniques. Now, I know if you've listened to this program before, you'll know that I'm not against strengthening surveillance techniques. I figure that if you don't have anything to hide, what the hell does it matter? Now, other countries apart from India have flirted with the idea of centralised identification systems as biometric technologies become cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and more widespread. Countries routinely integrate fingerprints and iris scans into passports. But for democracies at least, integrating state ID systems with the market, it's always likely to spark privacy and data security concerns, which in turn may lead ID systems to be curtailed by privacy laws. But the more authoritarian states like China don't have to overcome such a barrier. So you know, in a lot of ways, we have a hell of a disadvantage. But let the debate begin. It should be interesting, but we've got to start doing something because what we have doesn't work. Do you get my daily 30-second read business newsletter? We've now got about 1.75 million daily subscribers. It takes just 30 seconds to read it, well, sometimes a minute, and every day we tackle a different subject from medical advances to new apps to new technology to subjects like Hyperloop, autonomous cars, blockchain. We cover the whole gamut. And today's newsletter talks about the gentrification of tech nerds. All those guys that you used to see in the torn T-shirts and the jeans with the holes out of them and sneakers, you now see them in business suits looking very sharp as they have to fit into the world of finance and big business. Interesting, very interesting article. So to keep abreast of all the new developments in business and technology and ensure that you're able to compete in this ever-competitive world, you must get the Bob Pritchard Daily Newsletter. Have so many people, I mean, so many people say it's the only newsletter they read every day. And uh, every day there's a joke. 
Some of them are funny. <laughs> I try to make them funny every day, but it doesn't always work out. And it's really, really easy to get. Simply go to my website, which is bobpritchard.com, and enroll. And if you want to um, unsubscribe, simply tick the unsubscribe box at the bottom of the newsletter, and you'll be gone instantly. I mean, you'll be a fool, but you'll be gone. Now, according to research from The Atlantic, there are only half as many public companies listed on US stock exchanges today as there were just 20 years ago. In other words, despite a widely, lot of widely publicised IPOs, most companies rely on private investment to grow, creating a system where VCs can profit from the startup economy but the average person can't because the um, fundraising is limited to those few VCs who can put their hands on the millions of dollars required. Now, the first reason that companies choose now not to IPO is really simple. Firstly, it's not cheap. IPOs on a stock exchange, NASDAQ or Wall Street, cost an average of $4.2 million in fees plus 5% of the fundraising proceeds and a recurring $1.5 million in annual fees after that. So that's a lot of hooch. But more importantly, there are lots of other readily available ways to raise money. Private investment assets rose from $1 trillion in 2000 to more than $5 trillion last year. So you get your money off private placement. doesn't cost you four and a half million bucks to do it. So if you're a, you know, what's hot in California and a few other places around America are scooters, the scooter startups where you drive along and you see scooters on every corner. So when a hot new scooter startup requires, say, $300 million, all it needs to do is ask a VC like Sequoia get the money almost instantly and forget about an IPO. So the acquisition economy, which what we call it, it's good for the VCs, but it's very bad for the average investor because you don't get a look in. Now, fledgling companies used to set their sights on IPOs. I remember when everybody's aim was to go to IPO. Today, 90% of VC-backed companies seek acquisition. So institutional investors can privately invest in startups and make huge profits when they're acquired. But normal investors, the average guy like you and I, we just can't get into them. It's just not possible. So when startups do make it to an IPO, they've often been squeezed dry of any profits by the VCs leaving very small returns, if any, for normal mum and pop investors like you and I. So while there are only half as many public companies as there were 20 years ago, they're now ginormous. They're huge. Today's public companies add up to about the same percentage of US GDP as they did 20 years ago, even though there's only half as many of them. So they work out to be 
about twice as big. But since public companies now need to be huge, a startup's lucrative days of massive growth, well, they're usually long gone by the time the company IPOs. For example, Airbnb's user growth, which a couple of years ago was 44.4%, is now 13.2%. And next year, when they plan to IPO, it'll be down to about 7%. So very hard to um, make any money for the little guy. Now, kids dream of making it big on YouTube. They got, you know, I, I want to have, I want to be a YouTube star. I want to have millions of fans. I want to quit this daytime working stuff, and I want to live off my share of the ad revenue. Wow, that's the dream job. Well, you might make it big. You might even have millions of fans. Highly unlikely because very few people do. But unless you have tens of millions of fans. You will starve to death. Researchers calculated how many viewers and therefore how much ad revenue each would receive depending on number of viewers. The numbers are depressing enough to discourage any sensible person hoping for a career as a YouTube star. In reality, the top 3% of YouTubers get 90% of the traffic, which means that 97% of YouTube creators are fighting over 10% and it's steadily getting worse. But worse still, even those top 3% aren't making any money. To get into that rarefied top 3%, you need more than 1.5 million views a month, which is huge. But even at 1.5 million views a month, your average payment from YouTube will be about 300 bucks a week, which is about what you receive on unemployment. And it is unbelievably almost impossible to get 1.5 million views a month. So to make it into that top 3%, you'll have to beat 199 million other YouTubers. Added to that, there's about 200 million YouTube creators, of which very few can make a living, just a handful, and there's 400 hours of new video uploaded every single minute. Sure, you can make a lot of money from sponsored posts, but you need at least 100,000 subscribers, and that is a hell of a lot harder than getting 1.5 million views. And you need to be a celebrity in your own right, not somebody who's only known well on YouTube. Now, the really sad part of this is that one child in every three between seven and 16 said when they grow up, they want to be a full-time YouTuber. So one in three wants to be a YouTuber. Only one in nine want to be a doctor or a nurse. I think that means we're all fucked. <laughs> Jesus. Now, my guest after the break is Joshua DeWitt, and Joshua is the co-founder and CEO of CoinLion, which is building an environment where users are empowered to create and share portfolios 
strategies, research, and more very important in this crypto age. And I'll be back with Joshua after the break. This is Bob Pritchard broadcasting across the world this week from our studio on Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California, where entertainment meets technology. And I'll be back in just a minute. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. Now, over the past six years, we've given you the insights into the lives of somewhere around 350 of the world's most interesting business people entrepreneurs that have made a success of what they've done and the idea behind this segment is to try and find out what it is that makes them tick you know 95% of all businesses fail so the 5% that succeed have got something happening for them that the rest of us don't have so it's extremely difficult to create a successful business and that's why I'm constantly advising you to surround yourself with mentors and uh, to mix with people that are successful. Go out and, you know, watch those documentaries and read those books from people who have done it. Now, we've been talking about cryptocurrency every week now for, I know, years. I think about four years ago, I was talking to you about buying Bitcoin at that time. And, of course, most of us didn't. So today, we've got a real expert on the subject, not of Bitcoin, but of cryptocurrency. Joshua DeWitt has a Masters of Security and Analysis Portfolio Management. That's hard to say. From Croton University. Yeah. <laughs> he worked collectively on a team managing over $300 million at Merrill Lynch. He has eight years of experience in the finance industry with a history of trading various instruments, including debts and equities and derivatives, FX and more. And he has extensive expertise in portfolio construction and analysis. He was also involved very early in cryptocurrency. He's now the co-founder and CEO of CoinLion. And the CoinLion platform aims to simplify and enhance the user experience when managing digital assets. CoinLion's building an environment where users are empowered to create and share portfolios, strategies, research and 
more. Joshua, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. You're being heard all around the world. Uh, thanks for having me, Bob. I appreciate it. It's great. Uh, I love everything you said so far. I didn't know that you were uh, talking about cryptocurrency for the last four years. It's very uh, interesting. Yeah, well, most of us, we've got a portfolio of about, I don't know, 12 products. And uh, the last couple of weeks haven't been um, haven't been the best to recall, have they? <laughs> Took quite yeah. a crunch. <laughs> yeah, it has. But um, I think still bullish long term. So yeah, that's right. I, we keep telling people that um, you know there's a there's an awful lot of crypto cryptocurrencies out there. There's around fifteen hundred or sixteen hundred now, I believe. And uh, you know you need to make your choices carefully and uh, yeah. differentiate between the platforms that could actually make a big difference and people who are just simply trying to raise money. Yeah, exactly. I think that's right on. So you left your previous right. profession yeah, to focus full-time on CoinLion. So what made you um, wake up one morning and say, gee, I think the future is going to be in cryptocurrency. I'll, I'll get into Coin Lion. What, what, what sort of yeah. drove that decision? Yeah, no, it was kind of a work in process, you know, over a, a few years, really, I guess. And um, I had I'd really been focused on traditional finance and, you know, really in the equities markets and building portfolios um, at Merrill Lynch. But then also I was mining cryptocurrency, you know, uh, more Ethereum, kind of when Ethereum was first getting some, some bigger traction. Yeah. Um, so I've been mining Ethereum. Um, and then I was also trading cryptocurrency, um, you know, at night and, and uh, my free time. And I think that obviously, you know, you know, cryptocurrency never stops trading. No, so right. at, at the, the equity markets close here for us around 3.30. And so then it would be, you know, uh, going to focus on kind of trading some different cryptocurrencies. And um, I just really being in the finance finance industry, um, you do a lot of transactions. And so I, I had worked as a banker um, early on in my career as a banker and then as a brokerage associate and then kind of working up uh, after getting my master's and things. But as a banker and, and even as a, you know, someone who just is dealing with equities and doing a lot of transactions, you know, transactions is really what the core of this is all about. Yep. And when you're doing you know, thousands of transactions over your lifetime and a lot of these transactions take time, they take, you know, three day settlement for equities, um, you know, bank accounts, the ACHs are three plus days and it takes time and people wait and call and these sort of things. Um, and it never moves very fast. And then from go then starting to trade cryptocurrency with instant settlement and then instantaneous transactions, um, nearly near instantaneous, depending on what currency you're using really opened my mind up to like, I just think a lot of people don't do those types of transactions all the time. When you're doing transactions all the time, it really just made me think, holy, holy buckets, you know, this is going to change everything. The way that we do transactions and it, it can be instant, you know, why do we have to wait? So sure. that was what I love about it. So then I just dove in and I said, the way that we're managing these assets right now is not efficient. Um, the markets aren't efficient in general, but that's, I think it's moving in that direction, but just the way that we manage it, there's no tools that I was used to using. There's no tools to implement any sort of disciplined or controlled, uh, investment processes. And so that's what I wanted to bring to cryptocurrency is, um, a way to, you know, like you talked about just a little bit ago, you said that 
um, you know, you got to be careful what coins you're putting, you know, what money you're putting your coin, uh, what, what, uh, coins you're putting your money into, excuse me. And then, um, you know, you can, if you, if you go into the wrong point, you can pretty much lose everything. And that's why I agree with what you said. There needs to be disciplined sort of processes around that. And that's, you know, whether you want to have a lower risk cryptocurrency portfolio, if that's even possible or not yet, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. So you have your low risk, high risk, that sort of things. So we're kind of trying to bring all that to cryptocurrency. Yeah, that's I why I left. Cause it's just a game changer. I, I think, um, I, I'd sort of work on the philosophy that, um, Platforms are much more likely to succeed than um, individual cryptos that are being generated to raise funds or whatever. So I think it, if you stick to platforms, and it doesn't matter whether it's a Ripple or whether it's a Funfair, or, but those platforms that are specifically built for a, a purpose, yeah. you're probably reasonably safe. Yeah. I would say, you know, depending on the purpose and the use case yeah. of and the platform, you know, it, it, or the protocol, you know, I think protocol yeah. is a big word being thrown around there right now as far as the, what's the difference between a protocol and then a cryptocurrency that, that's not associated with the protocol. So, um, but yeah, so it's just, you know, I think it's, you're safer if you're, if you're looking into these platforms and protocols. Um, and also got to look at the use cases of the coin. You know, what problem sure. is this token solving? And yeah. is it going to be a large, you know, problem that it's solving or a use case that can be applied here? So what did what did you see back then that, you know, other sort of respected people from with finance buck, backgrounds like, say, Buffett and Dynan, to name two, don't see? Are they just um, too entrenched in their old school bullshit to – be able to see the forest for the trees? I think so. You know, I really do. I think that you obviously have your older generation and there's obviously a lot of people that are very open-minded and, and seeking out new technologies. I think you really want to, you really have to seek out new technologies and be willing to try and use and adapt to those technologies. Um, I think, you know, if you would ask Warren Buffett, maybe back in the day, and I don't know if this is true, but if you would have asked him, hey, what do you think about text messaging on a mobile phone? Yeah. You know, what would he be said about that? Um, and I, I kind of think this is this movement is very similar in a way to the text messaging movement um, and the mobile phone movement where you can just easily send a message instantaneous to a friend and soon sending a cryptocurrency. It already is, in my opinion, very similar to that um, if you want, but it'll become even easier as we make uh, and develop more applications to make that very easy and simple. So um, I, um, so I think, sorry. Yeah, that's gone. I was just going to say, I think that's kind of what um, I saw. Maybe that's something other people didn't is I've, I've always wanted to um, seek out new technologies because I did kind of, I don't want to say miss the boat on some of the, you know, internet, early internet stuff. I was very young at the time. I was only 15 or so. So I was following stocks like Apple and things like that. And I really sure. wanted to stay up on the cutting edge technology. Is the big, um, the big restriction at the moment simply speed of transactions? For example, in the case of Bitcoin, I mean, I look at Bitcoin and the transaction speeds that they can do and I sit there and say, how can this possibly ever work? At, with, because you know, at the moment there's, what, 12 million people or something that have got into cryptocurrency, but there's 8 billion that aren't. And as soon as those 8 billion start to get on, you know, you'll go crazy trading something like Bitcoin. 
Yeah. Um, you know, it, it depends too on ultimately what the, the use case is of Bitcoin. You know, I, that's why I think the shift of more of a store of value, I mean, you hear about the, the hold, hold on for dear life and all that stuff. Yeah. And I think that, I think that Bitcoin, yeah, there's some inherent uh, issues with the transaction speed and then the incentivization structure and things like that. And some of that may change going forward. But uh, I think we'll adapt, you know, other cryptocurrencies or and they're coming out with um, different coins that are more stable. You know, I know they have Tether, but there's a lot of different. Tether, um, yeah. Well, I'd, yeah, I don't trust them as far as I can trust them. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I don't either. But I think there's some good things coming out with like Maker Coin and Get ba uh, Base Coin. Get Base Coin. Um, I think if they can do some of the things that they want to do with decentralized, stable coins, that's going to make the cryptocurrency really just explode that much more. Because now, yeah, Bitcoin will be used more as the store of value. But if some coins that are more decentralized and stable, um, you know, that that will stay at a dollar for example, but are decentralized and not backed by a dollar, so to speak, but run in a little bit different way, like an algorithmic central bank. Yeah. Um, so once they come out with some of this stuff, I think that that's going to really help uh, open up the doors to a lot of people because right now there's just so much volatility. And I think those types of things will help smooth out that volatility as well as more efficient markets um, and, and more efficient pricing um, as more people enter the space. Yeah. So with CoinLion, um, what were the biggest challenges that you and your team faced? Was it funding? That seems to be the major problem most people have. Yeah, um, I think we, we, you know, we did we completed a token sale. Um, right. You know, that similar to an ICO, but it's right. like Ethereum-based token has a, a use case within our platform. And um, one of the reasons we chose to go that route is because we wanted to have users come to our platform and use the coin for the use cases that it was intended for. Right. Um, so if you, the great thing about going the token sale route, if you are building a platform like some similar to CoinLine or something else that requires users, um, you're able to go and get those users kind of in the same shot as you get the funds, you know? Right. Um, so for example, VC, if we were, if we would have taken on just say one VC or two VCs, well then we might have two users on our platform, um, wanting to use our coin, you know, so to speak. So we really wanted to create a model that encourages people to come use the coin to help share and create this community within the platform. Sure. Um, so I think that's one of the main reasons we chose to go that route with the token sale. Um, the challenge really was just doing the token sale. Um, it's not something that, you know, you have experience in typically when you get into this um, until you get a, maybe if you do a few token sales and you're, and you're working on different projects, but most people don't do that. Um, so just understanding how to run a token sale, um, setting up, you know, all the wallets and the smart contracts, building those, um, writing the entire white paper and building the website. It's incre I mean, to do it properly, I know there's talk of how simple it can be and, and people do do well, but like for, for us, if you do it right and you want to have the right board members and the right team and you need to have, you need to have preliminary funding, but then you need to put in, I mean, we I put in hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of work. Yeah. Um, so that, that was the challenge, just doing that. Um, and getting that all organized and then doing it efficiently with no errors, you know, it's uh, it's it's tough. So that's good advice to the people that are looking to start a, a, their own coin. Um, so what advice would you give to the people that are sitting out there listening saying, geez, you know, I've always bought traditional stocks and I don't know about this cryptocurrency thing. It's pretty volatile and I, maybe the whole thing's just a fake and it'll fall over. What do you say to those people 
to encourage them to invest in crypto? Um, yeah, so I'm no longer a financial advisor, and I'm not your financial <laughs> advisor. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So we I can't won't give advice really. Yeah, uh, I can't. I can't give advice really to invest in it. But I first would say the the starting point would be to educate yourself a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and find some good resources and understand a little bit how the technology works. You don't have to understand all the code and all the cryptography behind it, but to understand why it works and how it works. There's some really good books out there, I would say, to read. One of them being like the, the um, digital age of the new economic order and the new right. revolution kind of title. I, I think yep. that's a very popular one. Starts off, lays some good groundwork and goes through the history of money and that sort of thing. And once you have an understanding, I think of um, how money functions and that sort of thing, you kind of understand how uh, powerful this stuff is. So I think education is key. Um, and then obviously don't put in anything more than you really can afford to lose. Um, and that's, that, that's another thing. And that's then always I would great say, advice in any sort of investing. Yeah, yep. It is. Mm-hmm. It is. Um, and uh, then I would say, um, you know, maybe start to do a few transactions using cryptocurrency um, obviously, a lot of people know the, the Coinbase application. It's a very simple way, I think, to get started. And I always tell people, hey, just send a little cryptocurrency to a friend um, using that application and get the feel for how it works and then maybe move on from there. Once you understand how it works and you're comfortable with using it, then I think you have a little bit more of an eye-opening experience and you're saying, oh, this really does work. It is working. That was slick. You know, it only took a few minutes and uh, they, they received their funds or I received my funds and then you get the hang of it and then that, then you can really feel a lot more comfortable um, getting more involved. So if, if uh, somebody was going to get into cryptocurrency, you advising them, would you advise them to um, – oh. Okay, forget forget the word advice. Um, would, <laughs> would they be better off just buying and sitting or are they better off trading? Oh, I definitely think buying and sitting right now, especially for the, um, uh, oh, the newcomer to the space. Yeah. Um, I think, and I would say, you know, maybe try to build a little bit of a portfolio in a sense where you would maybe have, you know, the top five or six largest currencies in your holdings and then maybe allocate a smaller percentage of that portfolio to maybe try to achieve uh, or outperform the market, if you will, so to speak, um, and achieve some greater returns. That would be one way that I would approach it, I think. Um, okay. And that's something that CoinLine is really working to help with is the newcomers coming to the space. They don't have really any idea um, what to do. And so we have kind of uh, allowed people to create portfolios or will allow people to create portfolios of currencies on CoinLine. And then newcomers can come and kind of piggyback off that and get those portfolios and follow and track um, those portfolios in their own portfolio. So right. it's a good way for newcomers to come and do that sort of thing. So that's kind of where... I would say to be, um, you know, I just don't think that going off and picking some coin just because it's a low price and putting all your money in it and think it's going to, you know, just because it's less than a penny or whatever, it doesn't mean it's going to go up. So. Yeah, sure. I agree. Now, you, you look at the um, traditional banking system, I guess, um, represented by banks, um, and then that's on one hand, and then you've got cryptocurrency on the other hand. Do you, is, is the future for the two of them to somehow work together or do, is the cryptocurrency, you know, so much better a system that the um, dinosaur banks will – I think I think banks will go out of business anyway simply because people are not, <laughs> people are not going to put money in and uh, to uh, 
two percent or one percent and sure. borrow it back out at eight or ten and then wait for yeah. a week for a check to clear and all that. So they're fucked. They're gone. Yeah. So, but is yeah. there any of that traditional um, financial world that melds nicely in with crypto, or are they just too divergent oh. different to work together? You know, I think there's fundamental issues in both right now. Um, but I do believe, and then one of, one of them being like in crypto recourse, you know, recourse is pretty hard to yep. uh, have. You know, if you lose your coins, it's tough to get them back. Bank has some of that. Um, millennials are more comfortable. You know, I think the younger generation is more comfortable using technology. But I think, like I said, as applications get better um, and we develop better cryptos or better applications that utilize crypto that allow for recourse. And so maybe that's, you know, sort of a PayPal type of uh, structure where you can file a complaint. Funds are held in escrow, you know, those sort of things. Um, if that's happening within crypto, then, yeah, I think that there is opportunity where the banks could suffer. Um but I think banks will try to adapt and change and use those technologies. They may be a little slow moving. There's always going to be a, a group of an older generation that's going to feel very comfortable with the bank and they're going to need that. Um, but in, so that, maybe that's 30, 40 years down the road. But I do see that happening, though, eventually. Just, you know, Uber, kind of Uber, Uberization of banks, I guess. Yes. You know, Uber wipes all the taxis and this could happen. I mean, it, it's almost inevitable, but it, it might take longer than we think. Do you think I, – I was speaking to my bank manager for a show I was doing and I said um, – and it's a big bank. Uh, it's um, a big chase branch, you know, where they used to have 20 tellers or something. And I said, how many, yeah. how many people actually come into the bank that are under, say, 35? And he said, yeah. none. We don't see any. So I said, well, what about under 45? And he said, no, very few. Most of them, um, most people bank by photographing the check or whatever they do. The, yep. Most of the transactions are wires. So, um, you know, we just don't see them. So it's got to be it's got to be really hurting them. And uh, with a bit of luck, they'll be gone in 10 years. I hate banks. Never like banks. <laughs> <laughs> um, one, other one other problem that you hear all the time with crypto is it's okay, I, I buy it, I make a profit, but how the hell do you get your bloody money out? You know, and, <laughs> and I know some guys that are big on crypto and there's a Ferrari dealer down in um, Southern California, where you go in and you plonk down two hundred and fifty thousand in Bitcoin, and you drive out in your Ferrari, and then you go and sell it to somebody. Um, but <laughs> it's true. That's true, true yeah. story. So oh, how, I hear you. How the hell do you get your money out once you're in there? Um, well, I mean, you can use the standard applications if you want Coinbase over time, which I'm just I don't you know I don't like Coinbase really because of the fees and all that, but they do yeah. make it simple to get you know, funds out and they increase your limit up over time. I think, you know, you can do up to, I don't know what the max is, but 25,000 a week or something. So I know if you do have, you know, millions in there, yeah, it can be a challenge. Um, setting up a corporate account with a company like Gemini or a company like Uphold um, or um, even like a Kraken lets you wire transfer money out. So, I mean, it can be done. You just have to take the time to get a little bit more verified. Um, Gemini, I don't believe ha they don't have any wire transfer out limits on Gemini. Yeah. Um, those, that, that, that place, that uh, firm is set up by the Winklevoss twins, uh, yeah, sure. large Bitcoin and, yep. and Facebook uh, opponents. Uh, They've really done well, haven't they? 
Yeah, they, they sure have. And I, I, I just think that they're, they're right on. You know, they obviously got Facebook right. Now they're getting this right. So they know something. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, that's another place to do it. Um, so there's different ways to do it. Otherwise, or you can find a peer to peer transaction and coin line will be a place uh, to do that in the future as well. So I think the applications are getting better. Um, there's some banks that are friendly and obviously you heard, heard the stories of all the banks that are very unfriendly. So yeah, you just gotta sure. find the right Avenue. So, are people um, leaving the traditional finance companies and banks in droves to to trade cryptocurrency or go into the cryptocurrency area full time? Is that is it only the younger generation, or is there a sort of mass exodus, or is there no exodus? Um, I would I don't know if I would say droves just yet. I think that there was, I, you heard about it more, maybe even a few months ago around December when the prices were very high. And then also a lot of people were, it was all over the media and things. It seems like it, the, you know, some of this type has maybe died down a little bit here, but um, you know, I, I think that the reason traders like it and they will continue to flock to it as far as traders go is because, you know, it, it never stops trading. So that's one advantage. Our traders love volatility. That's really where they Absolutely. make a lot of their money. <laughs> Particularly so, extreme volatility. Yes, and so that's why they like cryptocurrency right now. You know, volatility, and then also that you have the instant settlement. You know, instant settlement uh, using the blockchain. So I think they like that too. So I think there's a number of uh, you know uh, advantages or uh, attractiveness to the crypto markets that traders want. So I think there are. I'm sure almost every trader or a lot of traders at this point are doing both. And, um, you know, maybe waiting to make that jump until they can, can feel comfortable or find, the, you know, more firms too. Uh, I'm reading about now are, are setting up like trading desks for the traders to trade crypto. Sure. And so I think as that happens, you're going to see more traders doing that. And this, it affects more and more, as it affects more and more industries, there'll be people switching across. A, a good friend of mine has um, created a blockchain for musicians and artists and uh, yeah. immediately they sell an album or get a download or whatever happens, The everybody that should get a royalty is instantly paid a royalty. Instead of going through the traditional APRAs and all those people where you can wait 6, 9, 12 months to get your royalty, using blockchain yeah. you get your royalty right now. And... Um, you know, most entertainers are starving and they live on <laughs> the odd few royalties they get. And uh, people, yeah. are, people are flocking to that because it's just changed the way that they get paid and the way they live. So the more, yeah, that, happens, the more that happens, the, the faster this growth is going to become. Yeah, and I think just in our day and age today, people are looking for more ways to be, you know, be free. Um, and free from whether that's free from the banks or just free from working the traditional nine to five type of career and the, the blockchain being kind of the middleman to end all middlemen, I guess if you want to call it that can allow that. And the internet has done that in a sense too. You know, you have all these entrepreneurs that are around and, and providing, you know, value through the internet, but as blockchain makes it easier to get paid and, tra and track all that, I think you're going to see more of that. Uh, type of freedom lifestyle kind of come out and, and blockchain helping to, to create that. So talk to me about um, CoinLion. What, what do you offer? Why should, who should use you? And um, why should I use you? Yeah, definitely. CoinLion is really working to build a cryptocurrency trading platform. 
Right. Um, one that is both simple and powerful and, and also appeals to both the advanced trader and the newcomers. So this first kind of, um, you know, as we raised our funds and, and it, it, it's catered to more the, toward more of the individual who's been involved in cryptocurrency, understands, you know, what they're getting into and, and participated in token sales, et cetera. Yeah. Um, they're going to come to the platform and help create uh, content as well as portfolios that can trade right on the platform. It is an exchange um, and use our portfolio management tools to create portfolios. Yeah. And then now, as there's more entrance, uh, more entrance entering the space here over 2018, 2019, and so on, they're going to come to the platform to kind of maybe piggyback off some of those ideas and say, okay, well, look at Bob Pritchard has been running a portfolio on Coinline for the last, you know, two years, and it's had a return of this and an average monthly return of this, and now I I want to reward, I want to pay Bob to kind of get all of his picks. I can do that, and that would be you would reward you Bob in in the Lion Coin. Um, you know, for for following that portfolio, so it's kind of creates that incentivization structure, that token economics, uh, if you will, that I think is going to really change a lot of things. That but sounds that's like a great idea. Yeah, there's and there's so many other advantages too for the like the lion token within the platform. It lets users have discounts on trades and free trades in the in the certain trading pairs, as well as access to research. There's also a social component built into CoinLine where it allows you to share content. So you could post your podcast there within CoinLine and be rewarded for doing that. Um, just a lot of really cool things that I think we're doing that that haven't even been done before. Okay. Um- how do you think that um, banks and major financial institutions are going to react as cryptocurrency becomes stronger and stronger? What can they, you know, you've got a background in in their industry. What can they do? Is Do they have anywhere to go or are they just totally being painted into a corner and they're screwed? Um, I think long term they may be. Um, they, they could be painted into a corner just because, if you and I can transact without them, why would we use them? Absolutely. Um, but I, like I said, yeah, and I think there's still um, inherent flaws really in both systems. And as we develop these applications, for example, like CoinLion um, or other applications, other types of wallets, and just that are very similar to the banking applications they're used to, um, then I think that that we won't have to use the banks anymore. We'll just do it on our phones, and, and you don't you won't need any more checks. You know, why, why would you need a check? Um, What's a check? That, uh, yeah, exactly. I know I haven't used a check in so long, but I mean, it's just, it's amazing what, what I think cryptocurrency can do and will do. It's, it's, we haven't even discovered really any of the, some of the use cases. You know, we've discovered a lot, but I think as we build out, build out all these applications and keep growing and expanding, it's just going to be phenomenal. You know, I'm just thinking of like payroll and all that sort of thing to make sure. it just very uh, simple, easy, quick, cheap. Um, it's going to do a lot of that, and and it's going to take away a lot of those services that banks are used to providing right now, um, and and banks do provide security as well, and, and cryptocurrency is very secure, but we still need to develop some applications to make it easier and more secure. Um, in my, you know, you're, Bob, you've probably used you know like a hardware wallet or like just sure. an Ethereum wallet. Um, without with your private key versus using something like Coinbase where you have kind of your name attached to it. Yeah. Um, in my opinion, 
I'm used to using just regular blockchain wallets, you know, whether that be through a MetaMask or through my Ether wallet or whatever. Um, that to me is very simple and easy, you know, and as easy as sending a text message and easier than setting up an account, uh, say with a Wells Fargo or something like that. <laughs> but there's still people that aren't ready to make that kind of jump, you know, so they need to be handheld through this and they're doing that through like a Coinbase, you know, something like that where it's just, you got, it looks just like your banking application. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, the blockchain's got so many more applications in, in finance with, say, funding, people buying property. Or what I know Jay Samet, who's a friend of mine, um, is working on a real estate um, crypto that um, will make it easier for people to get loans, easier for them to um, and and generate income as they go, so that the um, the payments will be less and they can actually end up ahead. So there's yeah. all of those things that are really going to screw traditional institutions. Um, yeah, and then the, the lending, I'm thinking, you know, uh, pooled lending, and they're already doing that out there with cryptocurrency, but yeah. I mean, giant lending pools where I can stake money and stake my crypto into that fund, and then I get paid and other people can borrow from it, you know, um, so it takes out the middleman there too. Okay, so what, what challenges does um, CoinLion face? What are, what are the things that you see... The, the speed bumps that you see ahead of you? Um, I, I, the big one on the horizon now has been the regulation. Um, just We have a kind of a full-time in-house attorney, and then we have another attorney, another firm that we work with, another firm. So um, really just to stay up on top of all that and make sure that we're doing everything right and by the book. Um, and that's one of our big challenges. And we want to, you know, there hasn't been much regulation in the past um, or talk of it. You know, now they're coming out with more and more. You see it in the news every day. Sure. And so to stay in front of, uh, to stay in front of that um, and, and comply with that um, is what we're working on basically all the time. So I think that's one of the things, you know, pending any, and I, and I don't think we'll see any debilitating, you know, regulation, but that would be the big challenge. Um, and, and we'll adapt and change as needed to overcome that. But uh, that's one thing. I think that a lot of cryptocurrencies have that on their mind. Um, the other thing is security. Um, you know, just making sure that everything is secure. We have a very comprehensive security protocol um, following some of the best practices in the industry. So I feel very good about that. But, you know, you never, there's always, um, you know, you just got to make sure that you're doing everything that you can to protect everyone. So that's the other, the other aspect of it. Yeah, for every um, for every smart good guy, there seems to be a really smart bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's very true. If they can find any sort of exploitation, they will. So we try to t- attack that on some different fronts, you know, starting with the people that we hired, then down to the hardware that we use and so on. So, um, yeah, just doing everything we can there. Well, Joshua, thanks very, very much for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. I really appreciate it. It's a a fascinating subject, and um, every week uh, I urge people to get into cryptocurrency, do their homework, get in, because I really do think that it's – I I got into crypto because uh, I sold a property. I went down to Chase Bank, and I said, if I give you X amount of dollars and, you know, quite a large chunk – what, what mm-hmm. can you do for me? And they came back and said, oh, we could probably get you 5 or 6%. And I said, yeah, I can do better than that standing on the corner with a hat. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, they, it's, yeah they, they don't offer much. And I think, honestly, nowadays, when I was at Wells, I don't know where interest rates are, but they were literally 0.1%. For your savings account, so yeah, that's about what they are now. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. 
Now, if you'd like to know more about Joshua and CoinLion, go to CoinLion, exactly as it sounds, C-O-I-N-L-I-O-N.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Network after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show, coming to you on Voice America Business Network, and we're broadcasting today from where entertainment and technology intersect, Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California. You know, the techie millionaires and the wannabe millionaires, they always wear the same stuff, don't they? They wear a hoodie and a torn, dirty tee and brightly coloured sneakers and jeans. And in an industry obsessed with frugality, utilitarianism and efficiency, dressing down and looking like crap is a badge of pride. During the 1980s, at companies like Apple, Atari and Sun, employees came to work at noon, left at 2 a.m. They brought their dogs to work. They wore their hair in ponytails. Business casual gave way to T-shirts and sneakers. They lived on Coca-Cola and crisps. They were the days. And Mark Zuckerberg wears the same thing every day, a grey T-shirt and jeans. And this minimalistic look isn't merely an act of efficiency. It's a call to the world that he's a man of the people, a man of the coders. He's true to his roots. But it's a pretty carefully crafted act because his T-shirts are custom made in Italy and about 300 bucks each. In recent years, tech execs have been unwittingly thrust into the public spotlight. They're no longer behind the scenes with doing lines of code. They're testifying in Washington. They're giving speeches at international conventions. They're gracing the covers of magazines. The public scrutinises their every move. They're celebrity tech CEOs. And suddenly these executives, ex-coders, who have no prior background in business, are in a position where they have to be taken seriously by the broader general public. So they start with their wardrobe. So look no further than Jeff Bezos, who between 1998 and 2017 managed to pivot from a slouching sweater enthusiast to a Vin Diesel body double in a power vest. Or Elon Musk, who went from a very balding coder in a purple button-up to a perfectly quaffed leather-wearing jacket alpha male with an absolutely full head of hair. Where did that come from? It's pretty good. I wouldn't mind, I wouldn't mind going to his guy. Now, before Zuckerberg testified before Congress earlier this year, President Trump's chief economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, asked the press, 
My biggest question about Zuckerberg is, is he going to behave like an adult as a major corporate leader? Or he's going to do this phony baloney thing with hoodies and dungarees? Well, we know the result and the answer to that. He turned up looking pretty sharp. And there are people in um, Silicon Valley who's stylist to make a fantastic living out of advising techies how to dress. And they are doing really well. Just imagine that they're advising techies who've got an unlimited amount of money. You go in and say, hey, I need a whole new wardrobe. I've got to look really, really cool and sophisticated and I've got four television shows tomorrow and off they go and buy you a whole bunch of new stuff and I'm sure that you pay a lot of money for it. Well, that's all right. They earn it. But have a look next time you look at um, somebody being interviewed. Have a look at what they look like today and what they look like a couple of years ago. The difference is chalk and cheese. Now, remember, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up way too much space. It's easier and it's much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. Anybody can be ordinary. You just pop out of the womb and there you are, ordinary. And if you're always trying to be normal, well, guess what? You're always going to be as boring as hell. And you'll never know how amazing that you can be by thinking and being outside the norm. So I hope you can join me again next Tuesday when I'll again be broadcasting. No, I won't. I lie. Next Tuesday, I will be in Sydney, Australia, broadcasting from just around the corner from the Opera House. So until then, in the meanwhile, continue to be successful because the alternative to success really sucks. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.